This episode is brought to you by Upright Live. Join us on our weekly live streamed classes and weekly live streamed Q&A sessions to help you move right and feel right. Our lower body class is geared towards getting your core and hips functioning well, giving you the strength and mobility to live your life. And for those who want a whole body that feels right, be sure to check out the whole body program that gives you upper body and lower body classes in addition to the Q&A sessions with our lead trainer. Trevor Hash. Be sure to check it out at uprighthealth.com slash live. That's uprighthealth.com slash L-I-V-E. If you have hip pain, you've probably been to a doctor and the doctor has probably pinpointed the cause of your pain as something structural. It could be something like hip impingement, FAI bone shapes that they're blaming your pain on. It could be from arthritis or labral tears, or it could be from bursitis. The end result of pretty much all of these diagnoses is surgery. That's generally the endpoint of most of these orthopedic diagnoses. So today's episode is going to deal with arthroscopic hip surgery for FAI in particular, and we're going to look at a study that examines the efficacy, the effectiveness, how good arthroscopic hip surgery is for hip impingement versus the best available physical therapy. This is a study that's very revealing, shows how useful and useless some of these treatments really are, and we're going to talk about how that affects the decisions you make about your own hip pain. Welcome to episode 46 of the Upright Health Podcast. I am your host, Matt Shu, the founder of Upright Health and the guy who is obsessed with looking at the literature and the research on hip pain and really helping you make better decisions about your body. Today's episode is going to be looking at a recent study that was done on arthroscopic hip surgery for FAI, and it It was a study that compared surgery, the outcomes from surgery, to conservative treatment. Now, this is a study that um, I had Max at Upright Health New Jersey look at. And Max, in case you don't know, is an attorney. So he's very good at close reading text and um, really digging deeper into dense text like uh, medical studies. And um, he came up with some really great stuff and he wrote up a really great article that I will link to on the website and you can kind of dive deeper and look at the original materials to help make some sense of all this. But in today's episode, we're going to go through this study. We're going to talk about the conclusions that we can draw as a result of this study and what some of the major flaws were with the study and the overall medical approach to dealing with this problem. So this study basically wanted to look at arthroscopic surgery for FAI and a non-surgical treatment that they considered basically state-of-the-art best-in-class in in terms of non-surgical treatment. And basically what this involved was 348 participants. 
171 got surgery to treat their hip pain from allegedly FAI bone shapes, and 177 participants received personalized hip therapy. And personalized hip therapy, you may be thinking, was must be something good. It must be the state-of-the-art non-surgical treatment for a person's hip pain. So PHT, for short, included four separate components. First, researchers conducted an assessment of pain function and range of motion for the hip. Then they basically showed patients some exercises and explained their treatment objectives. Then they taught them an exercise program. The the physiotherapist taught them an exercise program in the clinic and then told them, hey, go home and do these exercises. And also, this part was pretty interesting to me, some of the participants, I believe if they were unable to get any sort of pain relief from the exercises they were doing, were also given steroid injections. And uh, I say that's funny, that's a little bit funny to me, it raises my eyebrows because there's uh, recently been a really interesting study on those, which we'll, we'll get into in probably another episode or on a video later. So this all sounds maybe probably pretty good, right? Um, you're given a personalized hip therapy protocol versus surgery. Let's see what happens. So there's a huge problem here with this study. And basically it made it look like surgery is better than physical therapy. What's interesting though is that the study in the conclusions they showed that surgery for FAI actually showed pretty poor results and the non-surgical treatment that they used also showed poor results and slightly poorer results than the surgery. So we need to look a little bit closer at what's going on because if we look at the study you can interpret it as saying surgery is better than non-surgical treatment. But the reality here is that both of these treatments used in the study were pretty underwhelming. So before we get too deep into surgery, because you've probably heard me talk about surgery many, many times, uh, let's think about this PHT, the Personalized Hip Therapy Protocol. Um, again, I'm going to link to uh, an article on this so you can find the links to um, the actual original program and take a look at, at it for yourself. Um, but you're going to find when you do look at it that there are some glaring omissions in personalized hip therapy. I had Max look at it. I've looked at it. The other guys at Upright Health have taken a look at it, and it's kind of crazy. So when you look at the routine, you can see that there's about 20 exercises in the program, and they don't follow any logical progressive order, and they don't focus on hip muscles in a targeted, precise way. In addition, they miss out on all kinds of hip motions and hip ranges of motion. It, it, it's kind of shocking for us because when we see clients at Upright Health, we're usually trying to assess a lot of different positions, a lot of different ways of loading the hip muscles. We're looking at adduction, abduction, flexion, rotation internally and externally, and we're also looking at combining all of those um, motions so that we're exploring the full range, as full a range of motion in the hips as possible. 
And in this, I believe it's 23 exercise hip therapy protocol, they basically deal with a handful. They don't properly deal with abdominal engagement. They don't deal with really anything about internal rotation in the exercise routine. They don't do anything with hip flexor strength. Even, you know, I mentioned abdominal engagement. They have an exercise that one of the first exercises is focused on practicing breathing and proper abdominal engagement, which is definitely helpful. It can definitely, definitely be helpful. But the exercise they've shown and the the directions they use for all the physical therapists involved in this study, um, the directions and this exercise actually creates improper abdominal engagement. The instructions have basically no details on what the person, the, the participant, the patient with hip pain should be feeling, focusing on, etc. And it's really funny because they, they mention in the instructions that a little note, in this little note, they say the exercise can be progressed for the patient, uh, but then it gives no details on how you would progress it. And, and it doesn't use any guidelines on when you might progress it, doesn't give any guidelines on what you should do to progress it. So you're left with this really inadequate abdominal exercise and breathing exercise that's supposed to be progressed, but you're basically telling the PT, do something harder. We don't know what, right? So basically the the, the top level view here is that the personalized hip therapy that they used in this study didn't provide any regressions for patients that didn't have strength or mobility for any particular exercise. They didn't really use any assessments to identify which of the exercise, uh, which of the exercises a patient might actually need. Then it didn't provide pretty basic elements of strength and mobility. You know, like I mentioned earlier, there's just a whole range of motions that they don't have the patient even deal with. Um, so the biggest problem, though, is that many of the exercises barely train hip muscles. They basically just have people do things that work a muscle or that put them in an unstable uh, situation and then make the assumption that because something is unstable, that's going to make them use their hip muscles. So like the perfect example in in this personalized hip therapy protocol is there's this one where they just are supposed to sit on a ball and kind of balance themselves on that ball. And it's comically inadequate because there's so many ways you can do that exercise wrong and not use your hip muscles uh, because it's really not targeted at hip muscles. It kind of uses, can use some hip muscles, but that's not going to help you if your problem is controlling your hip range of motion doing an exercise that doesn't specifically challenge your specific roadblocks is going to be a huge waste of time. So basically, personalized hip therapy is a bunch of inadequate hip, maybe hip exercises. Um, So you're taking somebody who's got an FAI diagnosis and you're saying, okay, well, you've got crappy control, you've got crappy strength, flexibility, So now let's have you do a bunch of random exercises, none of which actually adequately train your hip muscles. And let's let's see what happens. So you take this inadequate program, you take a group doing this physical therapy, and then you compare the results of their crappy physical therapy with hip surgery. 
and you ask yourself, well, what's better? Is the surgery better than crappy physical therapy? So they measured this using a subjective um, score, which is kind of interesting, which you can dive into more uh, if you want to look at the article, which again, I'll link to. It's a pretty, um, it, I don't mind that it's subjective. It's the way that it's actually recorded and reported that is pretty silly. So again, take a look at that in the article. Um, Max did a pretty succinct write-up on that. Um, well, let's talk about the, the actual result, right? So the result of the scoring system that they used showed that there was an average difference between the two groups in terms of the reported benefit of the surgery, there's an average difference of about 6.1 points. Okay, so a score of 100 would mean no pain and perfect function. Lower score would basically mean worse and worse and worse. So when you take the average reporting um, from the patients in these two groups, um, after their treatments, you're talking about, you're, you're looking for a difference, right, in the point score, right? And so in the study, they basically were looking for uh, 6.1 points as a bare minimum difference between the two groups. That would mean one was significantly statistically better than the other group, okay? So in the groups of uh, surgery and non-surgical treatments, when they looked at the two groups, they wanted to see this minimum 6.1 point uh, difference. And what they saw was a 6.8 point difference in favor of the surgery group. Okay, well, eh, that's not... Great. Um, so they also broke this down into um, the people in the surgery group who actually followed all of the study's instructions, so all their post-surgical care, everything they were supposed to do. And in that case, there was an 8.2 point difference in favor of the surgery group. Uh, so this is a kind of tiny difference, right? So um, if you're looking at the people who got surgery versus the people who didn't get surgery and just kind of, you know, look at the differences there, you see there's a tiny 0.7 point higher than the minimal threshold of 6.1 points. If you look at the people who actually followed all of their post-surgical instructions properly, 2.1 points higher than the minimal threshold of 6.1. So we're talking about tiny, tiny differences in the surgical and non-surgical group. Again, the non-surgical group had a really crummy and adequate treatment. So while it's technically accurate to say that surgery beat physical therapy, that doesn't mean that the surgery is really that awesome because it was compared to a really crummy alternative treatment. So if we look at the scores a little more closely, we see that in the surgery group, generally the after surgery, people reported a 19-point improvement in in their um, scores, right? So they said there's 19 points of improvement, roughly. The conservative treatment group increased by about 14 points, even with this not so great 
therapy protocols, right? So a 14-point increase for non-surgical group with an exercise routine that we already know is not that good. So when it comes to hip pain, when it comes to FAI, when it comes to arthritis, and it comes to all these boogeymen of hip pain, it's really important to remember that we are we need to address the particular movement dysfunctions for an individual. Arthroscopic surgery does not address your movement dysfunctions. It doesn't address the muscles that control the motions that you are limited in. So even if you go in and you cut some things and you shave down some bones or you stitch a labrum down or you completely remove a labrum, remove a labrum or you shave this or that or the other thing or even slice a muscle deliberately, you are not addressing the control of the bone in the acetabulum. You're not addressing the femur being controlled by the muscles. And until you do, you, you really cannot control your hip joint better. So that's something important to think about when you also look at the physical therapy routine and realize that this routine doesn't address the control of the muscles. So you have two treatments that basically give you the same outcome. You will accidentally and not very intentionally affect specific muscles in a way that may or may not help somebody. The surgery itself may, in fact I, I will say it absolutely will affect muscle function around the joint, but not necessarily in predictable ways, right? If you go in with really, really, really weak and atrophied adductors and they go in and um, slice open your hip joint, move the femur, basically traction the femur out of the socket and the adductors are super, super you know, weak but they're getting stretched out and then they put everything back in, maybe those adductors function better or worse. Who knows how that's going to be? If you have no glute muscle and they do something like that, it's going to affect how those muscles function again after the surgery. It's anybody's guess how that's going to turn out. I, I don't think anyone's done any sort of study to really, really look at how that kind of thing uh, plays out because nobody's really thinking about that. They're just thinking about the structural thing. Now, when you think about PT, right, if in this PT protocol, you're not addressing a whole lot of muscles, a whole lot of motions, you are still sort of making some muscles work you know, by doing any exercise, you'll make some muscles work, but whether it's the right muscles or not is, again, anybody's guess, especially if you're being randomly coached in a way that doesn't very specifically tell you what you're trying to make work. And based on the, the, the write-up of the personalized hip therapy protocol, it's pretty clear that it's pretty haphazard and, uh, the instructions given to the patients were really inadequate. In addition, the length of time and contact time that patients had with their PTs was wholly, wholly inadequate. Um, we're going to take a deeper look at this in a separate episode, and, and we'll take a look at uh, the actual way the personalized hip therapy protocol was built um, and, and constructed for this study and for future studies in another episode. It's kind of fascinating and again, a little bit comical and a little macabre. So stay tuned for that in a future episode.
Now let's talk about one other major aspect that pops up in these types of studies. The study itself acknowledges that some of the results might be due to the placebo effect. And we've, we've talked about this before in videos, we've talked about this, I believe, on the podcast in the past, but orthopedic surgery is really well known for having a strong placebo effect. It's covered in articles and research studies all over the place. Basically, the idea is orthopedic surgery is touted as the highest tech way to fix your body. There's a huge ritual around it where you've got somebody with a lab coat, you've got somebody who is an authority figure who has advanced technical knowledge going in to do something that is state of the art to fix you. That whole ritual, that whole preparatory um, theatrical um, stage really sets the stage for your mind to say, what I'm doing is going to fix me. So there's also a really great book uh, about this called Surgery, the Ultimate Placebo that's written by an orthopedic surgeon on this topic. So definitely check that book out if you haven't already. Uh, so when you think about surgery versus non-surgical treatment, you also have to factor in that surgery has a really strong placebo effect really strong in addition to what it can be doing to the muscles. Where the non-surgical treatment, when you're dealing with um, a, an exercise routine that is obviously not helping you, and you have a physical therapist who believes that you have bone shapes that are messed up, telling you that, well, we're going to try to do this just to manage your pain, it's going to <laughs> pretty negatively... Um, uh, match these two things up, right? Like the surgical treatment has all these positive mental things going behind the scenes. And then you've got this non-surgical treatment, which is just kind of disheartening. And, you know, as the patient, you're not getting results. And the PT actually kind of believes that you're not going to get results anyway, right? So um, definitely something worth considering. That's something that somebody would have to test. You'd have to have two groups get surgery, one group get rehab, and the other wouldn't. And then you'd have to compare a third group that gets only rehab, and it'd have to be good rehab. And unfortunately, that kind of study would be complicated and expensive, and so it's probably never going to happen. Maybe it would happen in 10, 15, 20 years, but it'll probably just never happen. So when you're comparing these things, you have to realize that you know, the headline here is, okay, um, surgery was better than non-surgical treatment for FAI, but the reality is both were not great. Both had kind of similar, very similar results, and the non-surgical treatment just wasn't, wasn't good, period. And if you just read the summary of the study, you wouldn't get that, right? The summary of the study just tells you surgery is better, go get the surgery. And that, that serves a certain part of the medical community and I would say it does not serve somebody with hip pain and um, does not give you the full picture because it's not really giving you all the perspective and facts that you need to make a good decision for yourself. So when you're thinking about hip surgery versus non-surgical treatment for hip pain, in this situation it's, it's good to run through a little thought experiment. So if I told you your hip function would go from a 4 to a 6 out of 10, right? So a scale of 1 to 10, your hip pain, your hip 
function, hip pain, hip comfort levels would go from a four to a six from a surgery, would you do it? Keeping in mind that it's expensive, invasive, and carries pretty, you know, it carries risks of complications. Would you do it? From a four to a six. Surgery. What if I told you you could go from a four to a 5.5 with mm, perfunctory physical therapy? I could give you a cookie cutter program that's not necessarily executed very well, and you would get to a 5.5. Would you choose the surgery or would you choose the PT? What makes the most sense to you? In this case, both options aren't obviously that great. Neither method is that great, but one has fewer risks, right? What if I told you that you could go from a four to a nine, but it would take 12 months or two years or five years? That process would require time, effort, attention, and you would definitely get frustrated while doing it. It would require you to rethink how you live your life. It would require you to rethink how you use your body on a daily basis. But you could go from a four to a nine in an undetermined period of time. What choice would you make? From my perspective, and this has been the way I've lived my life and, and dealt with my severe hip pain, my perspective is I'm going to take the third option. The third option requires me to learn a lot, which is interesting, right? It's exciting. And also, I get to go to a nine, and actually, I'm planning on going to a 10, right? So, um, but a nine is, you know, reasonable. I, I would say a 10 is where I'm doing the full splits with um, at least a barbell over my head or on my back and able to come out of the full splits comfortably. Like that's 10, right? Nine, nine to me is really, really freaking good. 10 is uh, absolutely superhuman, amazing, right? So how you define your nine may be different. So... The thing you want to keep in mind is that your body requires you to learn about it, requires you to train it in order to function optimally. So if you want optimal function, if you want optimal comfort, then you need to learn how your own body works, how your habits affect your body, how the way you train your body affects you and your comfort levels. You need to adjust those things in a very personal way and adjust whatever needs to be adjusted in your life to make that happen. So I really encourage you, if you're out there thinking about hip surgery or the non-surgical approach, really think about how you can take control of your life, how you can get your muscles to work well. And as I've said in a, in a video, very popular video on YouTube, ATM, always think muscles. If you're looking for help and guidance to get your hips moving better, be sure to check out our do-it-yourself programs for the hips. Healthy Hips 1 is a really good place to start if you're a total beginner and you just have no idea what you're doing. If you have FAI, that specific diagnosis, and you have real specific concerns about that diagnosis, make sure you check out the FAI fix. You can check out all of our offerings um, for do-it-yourself programs at uprighthealth.com slash DIY. That's going to show you everything that we have, including postural correction, including shoulder stuff, and including hunchback stuff. If you want to see just things regarding the hips, then check out uh, uprighthealth.com slash hip help. 
and that'll show you some very specific hip programs that we believe are really effective and, re- and really helpful. So again, that's uprighthealth.com slash hip help. And also for those of you out there who have done some stuff with your hips, you, you've explored a bit, you've learned that your hips really can be trained out of pain, but you need more ideas and more guidance, definitely check out the Upright Live program. You can find out more about Upright Live and the the weekly live streamed classes at uprighthealth.com slash live. That's L-I-V-E. So guys, that's going to do it for this episode of the Upright Health Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. I hope it helped you think right. I hope it helps you move right. And I hope it helps you feel right. And as always, I hope you remember that pain sucks. Life shouldn't. 